Please take your Bible and find your way to the book of 2 Kings, the 6th chapter. And this is going to be a very lengthy reading. Engage with the Word of God, please, because there is a great message in all of God's Word for those who have ears to hear, and I believe that's true in this passage as well. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. After Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria, and there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? And the king asked her, What is your trouble? She answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden his, her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall. The people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. And he said, My God, do so to me, and more also, if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on his shoulders today. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look. When the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, You shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, Of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there, 
For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the king of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. They carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen. The king sent them in the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. Behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. And the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel. And two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate. And the people trampled him in the gate so that he died. As the man of God had said, the king came down to him. But when the man of God had said to the king, Two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a sea of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, You shall see it with your eyes, and you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him. The people trampled him in the gate, and he died. That's a very uplifting passage, isn't it? The man whom we know as St. Patrick came to the Emerald Isle in the year 432. He did not come of his own will. He was 16 years of age. He lived in what we now know as England. And when he was minding his own business, he was captured by a group of Irish pirates who then took him along with others to Ireland and sold him as a slave. For six years, he served as a slave. He had been raised, not in opulence, 
but in a certain degree of satisfactory conditions. His grandfather was a priest in the church. This was before the days of priests being celibate, obviously. And his father was a deacon in the church. But Patrick Podrig, as he would be called, had very little interest in spiritual things. But as it so happened, and has happened in some of your lives probably, when you find yourselves in dire straits, like he found himself in such a difficult situation, as he did his work as a slave, his job was that of a shepherd. When he was alone keeping the sheep, he would think back on his homeland. He would think about what he had heard his grandfather teach in the church and what his father had also taught him. And he began to consider Christ. And he came to know Christ during that six-year period. He had great fellowship with the Lord. And there came a moment in his 22nd year when he heard a voice. And the voice told him, that within three days he would be liberated and be able to return to his homeland. He immediately began to look for an opportunity to very secretively leave and move his way to what he thought would be the coast of Ireland. And he escaped for three days. He sought his way and finally came to a part of the seacoast where there was a sailing vessel It happened to be a sailing vessel which was on its way to Great Britain. He asked the captain of the ship, may I have passage? He said, I have nothing to give to you, but when I get home, I promise I will find you because my family is a family that has the means to pay you back. I will pay you back. He didn't meet with that great reception initially from the captain, but finally the captain showed mercy on him. And after... Another three days, he found himself in his homeland. And not too long after that, he made his way back to his family. He was a grateful man. Home. Free. Free to worship the Lord. Not in isolation, because at that time, Ireland was polytheistic. It was pagan to the core. You've heard of the Druids? They were the dominant thinkers as far as religion was concerned. And here he was in his homeland, he could go freely to the church where his father was a deacon and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Some time passed, and he received another vision. This time, a man who identified himself as Victorinus in this vision had a stack of letters written from Irishmen to him. And the gist of those letters was very simple. Holy servant boy. That's the way they remembered him. Holy servant boy. Come back and walk with us again. Now let me pause a moment. Patrick, when he left Ireland, escaped and went back home, we don't have a record of what went through his mind, but I would imagine... He thought, I'll never go back there again. But he could not escape the message which he had received. And much like the Apostle Paul, 
in a dream, heard the man from Macedonia calling him to take the gospel for the first time to the continent of Europe. He could not resist, and he went. During the rest of his life, he preached the gospel. He personally baptized literally thousands of people who came to know Christ. He raised up some of those who came to Jesus, discipled them. They followed Him in the preaching of the Gospel. And God used Him in a very mighty way. St. Patrick. These four lepers, about whom we just read, were men who had been mistreated because of their illness. When things got so bad within the fortress of Samaria, where cannibalization was occurring people eating their own children. It was awful. And they had had a life that was awful before the besieging of their capital, Samaria, at the hands of the inhabitants of Samaria and all of Israel. They were outcasts. And all of a sudden, their fortunes changed. We read about it. Phenomenal story. As they went with some degree of fear and trembling, I'm sure, to the Syrian camp and found that it was empty and they went into one tent. They found silver, gold, clothing, and they had a banquet, a feast. And they took what they found that was not perishable and they took and hid those things for future reference. And then they went into the second tent, did the same thing. And then what they say in Second Kings chapter 7, verse 9, is the real focal point of what I'm going to share with you this morning. Let's we'll read it again. They said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. Good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel which St. Patrick took to Ireland, is the same gospel that we have today. The word itself, literally, the word gospel means good news. Do you know what the Gospel is? Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was raised again on the third day after having been buried according to the Scripture. Jesus Christ is alive. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. This is good news. The story is told of a missionary to India who had one man that he was so eager to see come to know Jesus. He preached the Gospel to him. He explained the Gospel. This man was very resistant to the whole notion of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, there were 30 million gods in his religion of Hinduism. How could he isolate one to be the way, the truth, and the life? But as he listened to the Gospel and he considered and waited. The Spirit of God opened his eyes and he gave his life to Christ. He became the possessor of a Bible. And he treasured the Word of God. And he would spend hours a day reading, particularly from the Gospels. And whenever he would find something that really encouraged him, he would put his Finger in that part of the Bible, he would run outside it. If you've ever been to India, it's a nation that never sleeps, no matter where you are. People cover you up. And there was always someone passing by, and he says, 
Well, listen to this. This is good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. These men who are outcasts had been, for no telling how long, said, we're not doing right. Today is a day of good news. The word which is translated gospel in our New Testament is a word which is used very sparingly outside the New Testament. It's used primarily in the New Testament. We know it means good news. For instance, outside the New Testament, contemporary with the New Testament, this word was used to describe a slave who was sent by his owner to declare that a great Roman general had won a resounding victory and to spread the good news. There was another person, a herald, who heralded the good news of the birth of the man who became Caesar Augustus, saying that an era of good news was being introduced into the world with the birth of that child. The gospel is good news. And good news is not for hoarding it. These men knew that, didn't they? It's not for hoarding Let's read the rest of verse 9. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. To hoard good news is not normal. When you get good news, do you keep it to yourself? Ordinarily, what we want to do is tell people. They get tired of hearing it, but we want to tell them, right? My earliest recollection of receiving good news and the reaction I had to that good news came to my mind. Last Friday, my baby sister, who turned 62, had her 60th second birthday, obviously, and I called her and I wished her well. I told her, I said, Lisa, I'm so grateful that you're my sister. She's a sister in Christ, too. We're doubly related, by the way. It's awesome. She's a godly woman. And I say, Lisa, you don't remember it, but I do. I was with the Rainers. They were keeping me as Daddy had taken you and Mom. You were in the womb, taking you all to the hospital. You were born. And I remember Mrs. Rainer saying to me, Mike, your daddy's on the phone. And I was so excited. I was almost eight years old, and I had waited so long. All my friends in the neighborhood had at least one sibling. Many of them had multiple siblings, and I was alone as an only child. I wanted a sister or brother. I didn't care. (laughs) So I heard Daddy say, Mike, you have a little sister, and we're going to name her the name that you helped us discover, Lisa Ann. That's what we're going to call her. I was so excited. I have a mental picture. I, will, I don't think I'll ever lose it, even though it's almost 63 years old now, I guess. But what the backstory of that was, that was good news. But it didn't tickle me as much as the news I had received seven months earlier when I came home from school. It was in January. It was a dreary day in Memphis, Tennessee. It was damp. And my mother had a routine. When I'd come home, she would greet me. She wanted to know what I'd learned at school, what I'd done that day. She had a snack for me. She always said, now, Mike, 
before we sit down and talk, you take your school clothes off, you hang them up, put your play clothes on, then we come back in and we'll talk about it. I said, yes, ma'am. We sat down and we had this little area. You couldn't even call it a hall. Our house was rather small, probably about 1,100 square feet. And we sat down in this little area and the heat register was there. It was the best place in the winter to be. We didn't have central air, so it was not a good place to be in the summer. But in the winter, it was awesome. And she said, Mike, I want to tell you something. I said, what? She says, I'm going to have a baby. And so she tells me, I don't remember this. She may have embellished this, but it's good for this sermon anyway, okay? (laughs) I began, she said, to just giggle and get down on the floor and roll around. And I said to her, can I tell Daddy? (laughs) I wanted to share good news. It's it's, It's normal to share the good news, isn't it? Well, of course it is. You and I, if we really have been recipients of the good news, we cannot avoid being bearers of the good news. A faith that we are not trying to share lacks something. It's not really as it ought to be. Helmut Tilica, one of the great minds in the 20th century in the Christian church in Europe, He was a professor at the University of Hamburg in Germany. He was one of the best preachers in that era. wrote this in one of his works. A Christian who is only quiet, a Christian who can keep his mouth shut about what's been bestowed upon him is nothing but a dud. I don't know how you say dud in German, but whoever translated it translated that word with our word dud. He is dynamite that fails to go off. When Jesus spoke last to his apostles, he said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest part of the earth. The word which is translated power. The power of the Holy Spirit. This word is the word which sounds like this. Listen carefully to it. Dunamis. Our word dynamite comes directly transliterated from Greek into English. Dunamis. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. It is the only hope for the world. We live in a time that is unprecedented in its turmoil in most of our lives. I was a teenager in the 60s. It was a tumultuous time. I don't believe this time is any less tumultuous. The time when Jesus Christ became a man, and the time when He did His ministry, and the era when He gave His life and established the Gospel in a human form, I guarantee you that time was equally tumultuous. The Bible indicates that it was a time that was filled with hopelessness. And when we read the epitaphs on the gravestones of people who were contemporaries of the Apostle Paul and the contemporaries of the Lord Jesus Christ, their epitaphs often reflect 
the hopelessness, the cynicism. Our world is a world of hopelessness. But the gospel is the power of God. And it is something that we are not to hoard. Because to hoard the gospel, the good news, is sinful. The sin of silence has gripped the church of Jesus Christ in America. Do you know that today nearly 400 so-called evangelical believers, people who believe the Bible and believe the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you know it takes 400 of us to lead one person to Christ? There's something very badly wrong with that picture. When was the last time that you took a risk and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ to anyone in your life? I was talking to a brother who's in the room this morning. He's a Gideon. He was telling me about going with Gideons the evening, a Wednesday week ago, I believe, to Southwest University Baseball Park where the Chihuahuas played, where our mayor led our city in a time of memorializing the people who'd been killed three weeks ago. And he said that he and other Gideons handed out 6,000 Bibles. Maybe eight, I don't know. Six or eight. How many? How many? 8,000. I was off 2,000. Thank you, Enrique. 8,000. I didn't want to do what preachers usually do and exaggerate numbers, so we got that one right. But what he told me was that many people, when he offered, virtually all the people he offered Bible, Bibles, they would begin to cry. And they said, thank you. And they said, could I have a Bible for my husband? Could I have one for my children? Could I have some for my grandparents? Let me tell you something. El Paso, Texas is a mission field. It is white unto harvest. The time for harvesting has come. And we are to begin not only to pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers into the field, but we need to be part of that vanguard of people who unashamedly share the gospel. If it's good news as it is in our lives, why do we keep it to ourselves? There's something wrong when we do this. Perhaps you say, I don't need to speak. I'll let my life speak. To which I would say, who among us is so good that she or he can let his or her life speak and leave it at that? Sam Shoemaker, who was a great Episcopal priest in the Northeast, during the middle of the last century, a godly man, in one of his writings said this, I cannot, by being good, tell of Christ's atoning cross and resurrection or of my faith in His divinity. The emphasis is too much on me. This is Christianity in America today. That one little statement. The emphasis is too much on us and not enough on Him, on the Lord Jesus Christ. To hoard good news is sinful. James chapter 4 verse 17 says, For the one who knows to do what is right and fails to do it, for that one it is sin. 
we sin, if we remain tight-lipped about this wonderful good news. And sin has its consequences. That's why I ask that we read from the book of Ezekiel chapter 3. These men knew there would be consequences, didn't they? If they didn't share the good news, they say if we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. They knew. Theirs would have been physical punishment. We are people who understand what Ezekiel said when he said that if we, having a word from the Lord, fail to share it with those who don't know the Lord, then we will in some way bear guilt. But we are to share it, and then we will not be under guilt. In his book, Our Guilty Silence, John R.W. Stott wrote these words. He said, quoting a Buddhist from India who had come to England to study, he says, to the informed Eastern religionist, it appears that Western Christianity is like an adolescent in relationship to Jesus Christ, his God, because they are ashamed of being equated or associated in the minds of others with Jesus. Are we like that? It's time we grew up. We need to move past adolescence into spiritual adulthood if we're going to accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. So the first thing that we see here is the good news is not for hoarding. The second thing is the good news is obviously for sharing. And then we see in this story, it's shared by unlikely people. Four lepers, not elders, or the man of God, Elisha, but four lowly leopards. Do you know that great revivals are sweeping the developing nations in our world, not because of great preaching, but because ordinary believers are sharing their faith in dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because they are embodying the message, but they are verbalizing it to others. A survey taken about why people come to a place of worship like this indicated that nine people come to a place of worship for the architecture, the aesthetics. 18% because it's near their home. 14% because of affiliation. Roman Catholic, Episcopal, Charismatic, Assembly of God, Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, and so forth. 3% because the pastor called them. That's sort of hard to take, but but here's the good one. Good stat. 56% come to a place of worship and come to Christ because what? People who are not clergy people have reached out to them. People who hold no office probably even in the church. A group of 25 committed believers were asked about their personal testimonies and how they came to Christ, what were the circumstances of their coming to Christ. Twenty-five, mind you, committed believers, 
and all mentioned a person as their reason for coming to know Jesus. Not one of them, this is amazing, not one of them mentioned the place or the event. We believe and are stymied, I think, in our sharing of our faith because we believe we got to get that person to give his or her life to Christ right then, the first time we talk about Jesus. And if they don't receive Christ, we're failures. That's a very poor understanding of what evangelism is. The process of getting a person from ground zero to coming to know Jesus usually takes a while. This is another symptom of our own culture. We're so busy. We are in a hurry. Can I fit a little bit of time into my very busy schedule to share Christ with someone, to build a relationship with Jesus so people would come to know Christ? I've just got so much to do. What's the most important thing you can do in relationship to somebody else? I would say, if they don't know Christ, share the gospel. Spend time investing in that person's life. Watch what God does. Good news is for sharing by unlikely people. But not only by unlikely people, the good news is for sharing now. If we wait until the morning, if we wait... Do you ever say, when you sense a prompting to talk to someone about Jesus, you think, well, maybe this is not a good time. Uh, Maybe I'll turn him off. Maybe I won't have the answer to her questions. Maybe, maybe, maybe. So we wait. Why do we wait? I think it's primarily because of the fear of man. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Don't be afraid to share Jesus with people. You'll be amazed how often people will receive it in the way in which it's delivered as good news. Every once in a while you'll find somebody who'll shut you down. But my experience, especially in this city, people are open to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another reason is because we think we don't know enough. I refer you to Matthew 10, 19, and 18. I'm not going to quote it in its fullness. I'm going to paraphrase it. When you are brought before people of authority, don't worry what you will say. They're going to call you on the carpet about your message. Don't worry about what you'll say. In that moment, the Holy Spirit of God will give you the exact words you need. If you are walking with Christ, what you will receive from the Holy Spirit are words that are just right for that person in that situation. And some of us do not share the good news because we're really not convinced of the shortness of time. Therefore, we do not have an urgency. Jesus says in John 9, 4, He says, let us work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Night's coming in your life. You're going to die someday, and I am too. We will be out of opportunity. Or the end of time is coming. Jesus Christ could come back. I have never been one to cry 
the alarm about the second coming of Christ. But believe me, when you begin to look at the signs of the times, you read what Jesus has to say in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25. If you go to Mark chapter 13, if you look in Luke's Gospel, what you see is the signs of the times are palpable. It's real. And we are in an era when we need to work While it's day, night is coming when we will not be able to work. If this is our tendency to procrastinate, we know that that tendency is encouraged by none other than the devil himself. A man by the name of Henry Clay Trumbull who lived in the late 19th, early 20th century, a great Bible teacher a man of God, by his own testimony when he was in his 70s, said, I have actually shared Christ with thousands, count them, of people one to one. He said, never to the present day can I speak to a single soul. This is when he's in his 70s. Never to the present day can I speak to a single soul for Christ without being reminded by Satan that I am in danger of harming the cause of Christ by introducing the subject of Christ." Just now. You ever have that happen? You think you're going to share Jesus and all of a sudden something's going on in your head. Well, not just now. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 27, 28? Do not withhold good to whom it is due when you have it in your power to give it. But say... Listen to the good news. Jesus is relevant to every person's life. Now is the time that's on the clock of God. The Bible says now is the day of salvation. And you never know. You're not going to drive any, a person any further away into hell by telling the good news. Let me tell you that. They're headed that way anyway. And if we really love people, we will want them to know what we have learned by grace. It's not a matter of arrogance on our part to say we know we have eternal life because we know where it came from. It came from God, didn't it? It's a gift from the Lord. And we will want to share it with others. We need to announce our intentions as well. These men did that to one another. They were a little accountability group. He said, hey, they're talking to each other. If we don't share this message, we're missing an incredible opportunity. And they became each other's accountability partners. Look, find somebody who will care enough about you to hold you accountable to say, would you please help me to be accountable, to share the good news. Don't become legalistic about it, but just ask me and pray for me that I'll be able to be bold and dependent upon the Lord at the same time. By the way, being bold doesn't mean to be being brash, doesn't mean being in your face, doesn't mean being rude. It means being confident in God that He will give us what we need. He's given us Himself. He's given us the good news. Do you know that we were created 
to share the good news? You might say, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm going to piece this together, and I believe you'll see what I mean. We were created. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, 7, God created us for His glory. We know what happened to that glory. The image of God was marred by our sin. Then we who know Christ have been born again. We are therefore new creatures. We're in the process of being made like Christ. Christ lives in us. Therefore, we have, as we trust Christ, we have His person in us, empowering us. We have the mind of Christ. Therefore, we know how to say what to say and when to say it to other people. And the Bible says in John 15, these are Jesus' words, By this is my Father glorified. Remember, why were we created? The first time. To bring honor and glory to God. Why were we recreated the second time? To bring glory to God. So that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all for the glory of God. And so Jesus says, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You know what the fruit is? It's the fruit of the Spirit for sure. But it's also people who come to know the Lord. As we depend on the Lord, He will use you and me if we're available. That's all the Lord is looking for. A man or a woman who, like a branch in a vine, abides in Christ and says, I'm available, Lord. I don't know why in the world you would use me. But I'm available. God does some marvelous things with people who are available. In First Peter Chapter 2, in answer to this question, why were we created? Listen, this is so good. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says about us. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. What's a priest's job? To put man in touch with God and God within man. You know you're a priest if you know Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light in order that you may declare His excellencies. That's why we were born again. There it is. We were created for this. And you wonder sometimes why you sort of aimlessly wander around in your heart and you just have to stuff your life with so much activity and you still find yourself lacking. If you know Christ, you know what may be lacking? You're not sharing Jesus with people. That's all. That's a lot, but that's it. And the Scripture says, you were once no people, but now you're God's people. That's good news. God's people. What a dignifying truth when we know the Lord. In Sheffield, Alabama, North Alabama, this is back in the early 20th century, a group of 300 fellow workers gathered around a man who had been crushed in an accident in a steel mill. He was still conscious. And someone said, get a doctor, get a doctor. And I would have been doing the same thing. But this man screamed out, never mind the doctor. Is there someone here who can tell me how to be saved from my sins? I'm dying without God. 
won't someone help me? In this ironworks factory, there was not one of those men who could tell him. Now, that's an extreme example, of course. But you and I need to head death off at the pass and share Christ with people who were prepared to receive Him as their Lord and Savior. Would you bow your head? If you sense the Lord speaking to you today about joining Him in reaping a harvest for the glory of God. Would you just take a moment in your own heart to speak to the Lord and say to the Lord, Lord, help me to exhale a moment, Lord. Thank you for speaking to me through your word today. And I ask you, Lord, to use me to be a mouthpiece for you in El Paso, Texas, Lord. We pray for our city, Lord. We pray for a great sweeping of the gospel all over this city. I know, Lord, this is not just on my heart today. It must be on the hearts of many other of your followers in this church and in this city. And we ask, Lord, that you'd bring hope to our people through us. By your Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.